They just hear the hype, and so it scares them. And see, it's funny that we never take that approach with God's Word either. That we take it with the world. The world tells us, hey, here's this giant of a man, of a guy, of a thing. Here's this bad situation that's going to happen if we do this. And yet, we have God's Word, and it tells us what God's going to do, but we don't believe that. We would rather believe the hype of the world. You see what I'm saying? You see how we flip those things? How we see with man's eyes and not God's eyes? We have the Bible, our own personal experience, as well as the experience of countless other believers, all testifying to the strength of our God. We have stories like the one we'll explore in today's message with Pastor Mark that demonstrate God's power over even the biggest obstacles we can face in this world. David drew from this knowledge. He knew Israel's history of how God had provided and brought victory even in the midst of the most impossible situations. Many of his comrades had the same knowledge, but they fell for the hype instead. It's time for us to stop falling for that tactic of the enemy and trust in our Lord. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 with today's edition of Come Alive. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to pick up in verse 16. Goliath was calling out the children of Israel, intimidating them with his stuff, his weapons of warfare. If you remember, that's what we talked about, how the enemy has weapons of warfare, how we have weapons of warfare as well, and then how he interrogated them. So he intimidated them and he interrogated them. Aren't you the servants of Saul? Is what he called out to them. And because Saul is not in a right relationship with God at this moment, the God Goliath has heard about most of his life, I'm sure. The God who, who had defeated um, the Egyptians and who had parted the sea and who had defeated Jericho. I'm sure Goliath has heard about this. Uh, he had also heard about how God had caused Jonathan and his armor bearer to run out and chase you know, and, and cause an earthquake. The Lord caused the earthquake, but Jonathan and his armor bearer go out and they decide they're going to take on 30,000 people. So two people taking on 30,000, you, you find that amazing. So he's saying, where's your king? Where's your king? I hear, I hear of this God. I see your army. You guys are dressed in battle array, ready to do war, but where are you at? And I think sometimes that was, that's what Satan says, the enemy, and even the world says. Hey, I, I see you're a church. I hear what you say. And I read your website saying you want to reach all people and you want to do all these kind little things, but where are you at? And we go to Bible study after Bible study and we hear how and what we're supposed to do, yet we sit and we do nothing. And that's where we see the children of Israel. So Goliath kind of represents the enemy. He trusts in his strength, his stuff. He trusts in himself. And we as Christians cannot be that kind of person to trust in our stuff, our own strength, our talents maybe. And so Saul and the army were a, a little sketchy at best. And then he says, if you don't conquer me, or if you do conquer me, we will be your slaves. But if you don't, you will be our slaves. And so there, there's the humiliation. So, 
You know, there was the intimidation, the interrogation, and now the humiliation. And so that God would be, you know, that that would be very humiliating to, to lose. And you would basically be saying that Goliath's God is a better God if they were to lose. And so that would be humiliating. Losing is bad enough, but being a slave of the ones who beat you down or who beat you is even worse. And too often we as Christians spend our time being afraid. Aren't we afraid? We're afraid to, to do things for the Lord. We're afraid to go out into the communities. It is scary to knock on a door, but at that point, you're denying yourself the joy of running away, and you're allowing God to stand there and do something amazing. And that fear causes us sometimes just to stand still, to not even make a move. We, we don't want to make a decision. And so we do nothing. And so often we spend our time afraid and talking about the power that Satan has and has this day or this week, and we become even more afraid. And so here's the thing, you know, we talked about last week and how we as Christians should not be afraid of Satan. I know his power. I'm not afraid of Satan. I know what his power and what he can do. I'm not challenging him to any kind of a fight, but I'm just saying I'm not afraid because it's like these guys who who ride bulls, if you think about it. You know, they're not afraid of that bull. They respect it. You know, I, I was watching, and, I, and, you know, one of the things I always tell Jess is I'd like to buy a rodeo bull. It'd be cool to own one of those things. I mean, just to walk him around the block, you know, and walk around. People are like, what's that you got? This is my rodeo bull. And what's his name? Sixes. Why'd you name him Sixes? Because he's evil, 666. And so that's what I would name my bull. He's an animal. He won't go to heaven, and hopefully one day he'll turn into a great barbecue. But these guys respect the strength of those bulls when they ride them. They're not afraid of them. If they were afraid, they'd never get on them. So they respect the strength of that bull. And that's the same way that we as Christians, we should respect and see that, you know what, Satan has some strength. And not respect it like, oh, we respect it. That's good. That's great. But have respect for it and understand it. And to know when to stay away from it and when to walk into it sometimes. Walk into the, the, the realm and say, hey, you know what? Though there's evil here, uh, the, the he who is in the world, he may be strong. But you know what? Jesus Christ is greater and stronger. And so with that power, and that's why they're able to sit on the back of that thing and ride. Oh, yeah, they can be killed. Some have. They can be hurt very badly. But a healthy respect and knowing his ways helps him conquer that beast for eight seconds. And so much of the same way as a race car driver. You're driving at 200 miles per hour on an oval track. Well, you know, you can be afraid of that car or you can have respect for the power of that car. Same thing. Look at verse 16 for me. The Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. And then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. So for 40 days and evenings, we see that Goliath... Basically, just taunts the army of God. You have all this hype. You know, his armor bearer probably goes out and helps build up Goliath. You know, on the Facebook and the tweets, you know, giant Goliath taunts, you know, uh, children of Israel. Facebook, ha, 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 children of Israel, where you at? Come out, come out, wherever you are. And so there's this, all this taunting going on for 40 days and 40 nights. So you have all this hype, all these scare tactics, and all the children of Israel, they're shaking in their pants or in their robes. And we as Christians, you know what? We don't worry about that stuff, do we? And we don't worry about what might happen. Sure we do. We always do because we heard it did happen. 
but we never really saw it happen. So we assume when you hear about this giant, and this is the deal with the champion here, they hear all this stuff about this giant, how great he is, how great of a warrior that he is, and it's built up and built up. But they never saw it happen. They, they never really physically seen or knew anyone that, that had this. They just hear the hype, and so it scares them. And see, it's funny that we never take that approach with God's word either, that we take it with the world. The world tells us, hey, here's this giant of a man, of a guy, of a thing. Here's this bad situation that's going to happen if we do this. And yet we have God's word, and it tells us what God's going to do, but we don't believe that. We would rather believe the hype of the world. You see what I'm saying? You see how we flip those things, how we see with man's eyes and not God's eyes? We have a Bible. It tells us every time what God can do, how he's never been defeated. And yet, we go out there and we believe the hype when there's a, there's a giant, when there's this big thing. We never trust the truth. Why are we like that? Why do you think we're like that when you think about it? Statistically, they say that 97% of the things we worry about don't even happen. So that leaves you with a 3% chance. I mean, I was thinking about that after I read that statistic, and I was sitting there, and I was, I was thinking back to the day before how I was worried about something happening, and I was giggling because it didn't happen. I was kind of freaking out and worrying about it because people were saying all this stuff. I'd heard the report in the news, and it really didn't even happen. My big concern is that the enemy taunts us and renders us useless. That's our problem is... He taunts us and teases us, and it's like a big bully, and we all of a sudden we cave, and we're like, we just sit, and, and we're useless at that point. We don't take a step forward. We're panicked. We're paranoid, and we need to know his ways. The Bible tells us those ways. We can read how Satan works because it's the same in most situations. He's a liar, and so if he can get you to sit still, if he can taunt you, with a lie to cause you to stop, then basically he has won the battle. So God's standing there waiting for us to turn to him because the battle's not our battle. The battle belongs to the Lord, correct? So today we see that God has an approach to this battle that is right, and it's also an attitude, attitude towards service that is right. So there, God has an approach to battle that is right. We need to understand that. God's approach is the right approach. When we try to do things in our own ways, it's probably not the right approach. But there's also not just an approach to how to do those things, but there's also an attitude towards the service that is right. So we see David go and take bread and cheese to the army. He's a delivery boy. Because his father had asked him to do so, he could have said, did you not see a few chapters back, Dad, that, you know, when Samuel came with the oil and anointed me king, And do you not see that you're asking your king, dad, to deliver some bread and some cheese to the battle lines? I mean, after all, I'm the king. You should go do that. You do it. But he doesn't do that. And and he didn't say, oh, and by the way, that shepherd job that you gave me, you know, the lowest of low jobs here on the farm, I'm done with it. I quit. And I'm not a delivery boy. I'm going to go ahead and move on into the throne that, well, I've been anointed for, that I've been promised. Turn to Luke 16.10. Take a look there with me real fast. 
Luke in the New Testament, chapter 16, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So the idea here is when it comes to those things that God has given us that he's looking to entrust to us, we will either be found faithful in it, and if we fail in our faithfulness, it's actually a crime in a sense, a crime of injustice if we fail in those things that he's given to us. And I don't think we understand that. That we, I mean, if, if you would think that, hey, the Lord's given me this, whatever it is he's given you, I don't know what it is, but he's given you this, and you're unfaithful in it, whatever that thing is, that it's a crime against God. It's unjust is what the Bible tells us. Unjust. It's, a, it's an injustice. And so we're not recognizing that what we have comes from him in the first place. So now we have this distorted view of what God gives us. We, we have to see that everything that he allows us to have is from him. So we get this distorted view and we're unfaithful with little. And it's a, it's a crime when we're unfaithful with it. So turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 17, back to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we see here right now David is being given an opportunity to be proven faithful, to be proven faithful by taking the bread. Run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses, verse 18, to the captain of their thousands and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. And so here's this deal that his dad asked him, hey, Dave, I know you're the king. I understand what's taken place. I've seen it with my own eyes. It's an honor to have you as my son. I'm very proud of you. But here, how about delivering some lunch to your brothers? It's like a lunchable. Some cheese and some bread. Nothing big. And if we say no to those small opportunities that we tend to say no to, those things where it's like, hey, can you volunteer and cook something for an outreach? Or can you just show up and and support this in prayer? Or could you even help clean? And when we say no to those small opportunities, then, well, you know what? The next one and the next one just seems to pass you on by. It becomes not such a big deal because now, well, I'd rather stay home. It's hot outside. And it was. It was hot outside. We were sweating. But, you know, the big one really never comes. And there's this uneasiness, you know, that you're always waiting for. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, the cleaning, I'm not into that. No, I'm not going to do that. And we talked about how once we say no to one thing, it's easier to say no to the next thing. And it gets easier and easier. But yet we're always waiting for that big thing to show up so we can say yes to it. But God's like, you've got to be faithful with this little thing first. Be faithful with that small thing before you can move into the big thing. And so, you know, the I need to escape plan pops into our heads. The question isn't where will you run, but when will you be found faithful in those small things? Don't run from the things that God has for you and calling you to do. Just it, The question really is, is when are you going to be found faithful in it? How, how much time are we going to spend running or hiding, or avoiding. How will God trust in something that trust you in something that is big if you're not faithful in that little thing that is small? And, and you'll miss out on that joy of having something entrusted to you where you are. You'll be like, wow, I've had something entrusted to me. That's all, all God. It's all God. He's the one that entrusts it to you. So David takes the order. He goes to deliver the food. So I could just see him kind of riding on his donkey with his little light on top of his hat or head and cruising down 
delivery boy. And he's going to take it out to his brothers. Look at verse 19. Now Saul and, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And so David rose early in the morning. He left the sheep with a keeper and he took the things that, that, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. He ran to the army and came and he greeted his brothers. And then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine Agath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. And so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. He will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Stop right there with me. So Saul make uh, the guy who does this amazing thing, who goes out there and does battle with him wealthy. And when it comes to relationship, he says, you're going to go ahead and you're going to get my daughter. So you're going to be wealthy, but you're also going to get my daughter. And you know what? You won't even have to pay taxes. Is that the same hope you and I have? You know, when you think about it, are those the same hopes that we have in, in, in relation? If I'm victorious in God, he's going to do the same thing. He, he's going to make me wealthy. Am I going to be wealthy? Uh, hopefully we have that same hope. So here's how this may work. Maybe you're, there's a sin or two that that's keeping you from being promoted at work. Maybe you've blown it a few times or something. There's something, you're late or whatever. Maybe you've just been late, you didn't do something, you didn't plan your day well, so the boss is like, well, if I, if I give him the key to, to, the, to the shop and he's always late, well, he's not going to get, the other guys are, are going to be late, so everybody will be late, so I can't trust him with that little thing. So when it comes to those riches, if we would just let God penetrate and, and listen and do what the Bible says and be faithful in those little things, show up early, you might get a promotion. You might become wealthy in that way. And not just hand it over a treasure chest falling out of heaven, but he could promote and he could make you wealthy in your job. And if you allow God to infiltrate our heart, well, we'll become a person with greater potential. Uh, that's what Christianity is all about, is if we just allow God to take over and rule and reign in our lives, we'll become a person with greater potential. In all the things that we do, we won't have to have coaching. We won't have to have all this extra stuff. It goes back to my theory. If your kid is failing in school, well, just start pushing him to be a better Christian because if he learns to do all things for Christ and he truly believes that and does them, then you know what? He's going to give it his best. He, he may not always be the straight-A student, but he's going to give it his best. And so when it comes to relationship, well, think about this. David's going to get a, or whoever defies this king, and it's going to be David, or this giant, it's going to be David, he's going to get a daughter, a marriage. You'll begin to do what is right in those relationships because you're no longer with the same sin. Now you're on a path to righteousness. And so your relationships start to change. You'll see greater success in your relationships. You'll see people wanting to hang out with you more instead of saying, well, you know, I don't know if he's going to make it. I don't know if he's going to show up or... Well, every time he shows up, he needs something or wants something from me. Taxes. You know, he don't have to pay taxes. Well, we're all stuck paying taxes. I 
don't know how that's going to work. We'll never stop paying them, but I'll spiritualize anything, so I'll give this a shot and just ask the Lord to help. So if it's a matter of the law, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, right? God can even provide you the money to pay your taxes. I've seen that happen before. I mean, this year we we sat down and we were looking, and Jess goes, man, you're not going to believe how much we owe in taxes. And I was like, how much? And I'm thinking small amounts, maybe less than $1,000. And it wasn't a small amount. It was more than $1,000. And I remember sitting there going, no way. How is that going to happen? We got stuff we have to buy for the business. And, man, this is just not going to happen. And so I said, you know what? We need to pray about this. So I said, Lord, you know, we've been faithful. So I laid out my laundry list. I said, we've been faithful with this. We've done this. I know I've blown it here, but I repented then. And so, Lord, we're asking for your help. We seek you. And then two days later, I get a phone call. Hey, Mark, we need this job. And this is the job that we need for you guys to do. And I remember thinking, man, I really don't want to do it. And so I said, well, let me go out and take a look at it. And then I looked at it, and it didn't seem like it was going to be so hard. And then I work up the bid. Crazy thing was the exact amount of the taxes. So we call our CPA. We say, hey, we got the money for the taxes. It'll be in in about 30 days. Can we do this? And like, yeah, that's cool. And then after we get the check, CPA calls us back and goes, hey, man, I figured it out. You guys actually owe way less than you thought, and we still wound up bonusing. I was like, man, praise the Lord. You know, and you, and you see how God works. Just being faithful in those little things. If I had turned my back on that job, those taxes, I know, I know that I know would have stayed at that higher number. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. It was a very defeating day when both Jess and I looked at those things, and I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, I, I don't know where we're going to get this. How did this happen? I, I, I can't figure this out. Were we not faithful in something? Were we not good stewards? And we started looking at them and looking at and we couldn't find the hole. So we sent them to the accountant, and we said, hey, can you re-look at, look at these, over, look these over again? And he's like, yeah, I'll look them over again, but that's what we have. And then a few days later, there, bam, the Lord prevails. So here we see a reward promised to the one who took out Goliath. You see the reward for the guy who takes out Goliath. Great riches, a bride, and freedom for his family. What did Jesus gain for defeating Satan? Think about it. The same thing. We're called his inheritance, right? In Ephesians 1. His treasure in Matthew 13, 44. The pearl of great price in verse 46. We're called his bride in Revelation 21, 19. Didn't Jesus, I mean, you see the correlation here? Here's what Saul says he's going to give, and and Jesus gets. And, And being in his family, we are the ones that are set free. The people we meet in the book of 1 Samuel are quite the characters. We meet a woman who gave her only child to God and a boy who heard and answered the call of the Lord. We also find a frightened king and a brave shepherd boy, both of whom would lead the people of Israel. Through each of these people and circumstances, we discover God's hand at work in powerful ways. We are so glad you tuned in today to Come Alive. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play or iTunes to keep up to date with the latest from Come Alive and the church behind it. Calvary Chapel Katy is led by Pastor Mark Martinez and a staff of Jesus-loving, friendly people who do all we can to spread the good news of the gospel to all who walk through our doors. If you're in the Katy area, Tracy has an invitation for you. We'd absolutely love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Katy for our Sunday morning service. 
We're now meeting at Wood Creek Elementary School, located at 1155 Wood Creek Bend Lane. It's exciting to be in a new space, and we hope you're able to come worship the Savior and study the Bible with us, filling our new home with praise and prayer. Give us a call for more information and directions, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. That's 281-391-5503. Thanks for listening today to Come Alive.